And I'm Roland Tata, and welcome to the 905er. Uh, before we begin, if you're a fan of the podcast, or even if you are just discovering us for the very first time, I'd like to invite you to share us with your friends and family and to give us a five-star review. It would help us out a lot and continue to grow our listenership. We'd both very much appreciate your efforts. As well, please consider becoming a 905er yourself through our Patreon. For as little as $7 a month, you'll be helping to expand our and produce this podcast. We can't do this without you. You can sign up through the link in the show notes. Yesterday was International Women's Day. Here in the 905 region, the day is marked by a unique event going into its 25th year now. The International Women's Day Breakfast is a long-standing tradition here in Burlington, which highlights the accomplishments of women of note in the region. The organizer of the breakfast is the Honorable Patty Torsney. She is a longtime friend of Roland and I, and she was responsible for starting the breakfast and has since turned it into a yearly tradition within the region. Patty is a former member of Parliament and has since moved on to becoming ambassador for the Interparliamentary Union at the United Nations in New York City. She splits her time between the 905 and the Big Apple these days, but along the way she still makes a point to organize and host this yearly event. We reached out to her to invite her on the podcast to learn a little bit more about the history behind this event and the importance of International Women's Day and the importance of including women and more diversity at all levels of leadership in our society. Please enjoy. Okay, well, I would like to thank uh, Patty Torsney, sorry, the Honorable uh, Patty Torsney for coming on today's episode of the 905er. Patty is a longtime uh, friend of Roland and myself. We're very happy to catch up with her uh, today. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today, Patty. Nice to be here. Nice to see you guys. So the reason why we're having you on is this week, by the time this episode is airing, uh, this week is International Women's Day will have happened. International Women's Week is happening. Uh, your 25th annual International Women's Day breakfast, that's a mouthful, uh, is, uh, will have happened on this Monday past. Uh, that, that is quite, a, quite an accomplishment, 25 years of, an, of this annual event here in, in Burlington in the 905. Uh, why, can you just take us through the, the history of this, how, how you started this up uh, back in the day? Um. Well, Joel, it's an interesting thing. I started this breakfast. Um, uh, I was a member of parliament. I was in Ottawa. And one of my colleagues uh, from Montreal, Eleni Bakopanos, was telling us that she was about to do a breakfast the following week. And maybe it was her second and third annual and what a great event it was. And, and I said, wow, we could do something like that in Burlington. So we checked with the team and, and my staff in Burlington said, yeah, let's do this. And we asked Dr. May Cohen. And she was traveling. And so she, her husband said, yeah, she'd probably be interested. And um, Sunday night, she confirmed. Monday morning, we started calling people. Email wasn't a big thing back then in the same way. And we, we called everybody. We booked the hotel at, by the water. And we had 110 people on Friday morning. Um, and it was covered in the post. And, uh, and May Cohen saw it in the, the Burlington Post and called me on Wednesday night and said, God, this is in the paper. Like, this isn't really a thing. And so she came and we, we actually, you know, we had everybody call two friends and call two friends. And, uh, and, and that's how we started packing the room. And we were there for a while, uh, for a few years. But then, of course, we, we grew too big. 
Um, we had to go to the rooms downstairs. They were not accessible, which was really unfortunate. Um, and a shame that any public facilities would be built with a staircase down to the, to the rooms. So we moved to the Holiday Inn, um, and the Holiday Inn has been a sponsor in a way since they just uh, they charged me the minimum amount. And uh, I, we don't make any money on this. We just continue to pass on um, the, whatever the Holiday Inn charges, uh, I charge people. And when I was no longer a member of Parliament, uh, we uh, got the different drummer bookstore to sell the tickets. And um, that's been terrific. Uh, hopefully people are buying lots of books. And we have had, um, for probably 23 years, we've had sponsors um, who have paid about $100 each to sponsor um, high school students to come. And that's been expanded, you know, to other people that have identified that they can't afford a ticket. And so we've been able to uh, expand our reach that way. And now some schools send whole tables of kids instead of just the two that are sponsored. Well, I mean, this now, is... Tomorrow just... or yesterday... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, virtually, go ahead. we're going to have some schools actually uh, hook on uh, to the whole classroom. So it'll be uh, a bigger a bigger reach. Well, I, I was just going to say that this is trans, transformed, I, I guess, from just a small little event to, 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 to wouldn't this be nice to have into this has kind of become a, a bit of a calendar marker locally, at least, at least in the, in the region that I know that there are, um, a number of organizations in the, in the region that make a point of, no, we want to go there. We want to sponsor. We want to, uh, uh, participate. And, you know, that, that is something that it's kind of transformed a bit from just a, Oh, that wouldn't that be nice to do into no, like yeah. if, if we didn't do it, people are going to be like, what's going on? Uh, which is kind of, it's, and I get calls, I get calls saying, right. what are you doing? How, how come we haven't heard anything? <laughs> um, and I have this rickety way of, you know, emailing as many people as I can. I literally type in A, and then whatever names pop up, I grab those, and A, B, and A, C, and A, D. I don't even have a proper list. It's terrible. Um, now doing it virtually, I think I'm going to end up generating my own little mailing list, so that'll be helpful. Um, but it's really a labor of love, and for the last seven years, this will be my seventh year doing it from New York, um, Although I'm now here, um, I will. Uh, we, we've I've flown in for the weekend. There's only one year where we. Uh, it was an outrageous snowstorm the day before, and I was sure I was not going to. I I got the last flight out of Ottawa. Porter Airlines was the only thing uh, flying. In fact, Air Canada, the flights didn't make it. Um, and uh, but of course, the next morning it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And we had a great, everybody showed up and, you know, we'd fielded all these calls. What are you going to do if it snows tomorrow? Well, we, we didn't have a backup plan. There was no, oh. that's, that's life in um, Canada, so, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but some people have, you know, a way of saying, oh, we'll move it. Well, there was no moving it. I was flying in. So uh, the good news is virtually there will be no snowstorm uh, or if there is, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. and, and you know obviously like you said you you moved to new york uh most of the time outside of covid uh you're yeah. based in new york working for the interparliamentary union which is basically separate from but within the halls of the um united nations uh you kind of you're within the building but set but so i'm their ambassador from. to the united nations um most ambassadors are uh represent countries they're called permanent representatives and then there are a number of, uh, after the 193 countries, there are some permanent observers, and I am one of those, and I am the permanent observer for the Interparliamentary Union. 
which is based in Geneva. And it does a lot of work on gender and women in parliaments and women in leadership. And so you, you never thought when, you know, going on to a pretty, pretty impressive uh, job, to say the least, hey, maybe I don't come back to Burlington once a year to do this, uh, the, the, the Women's Day Breakfast anymore. You know, I don't have to do this as a, um, it's not part of my kind of political background where I'm winning friends and influencing the people. It's, did it ever cross your mind to sort of not do that? Or uh, it's just no. glad <laughs> really, isn't it? Yeah, that's a dumb question. Well, yeah. no, no, but it was kind of funny. So what, when I lost my, my seat in 2006, it was end of January, and um, we hadn't even planned the breakfast at that point. So we scrambled and we had Sarah McLaughlin, the publisher, uh, come. Um, maybe in the final days of the election campaign, I was realizing that we needed to do this. And we said, no matter what, we're going to do the breakfast. And um, we, that's where a different drummer, I think, started stepping up and helping with the t- ticket sales. And we had 250 people come out for breakfast um, that day. I think it was March 2nd or something. Um, and I left on a flight to New Zealand, I think, the next day <laughs> um, for a little R&R and getting far away from things. Um, but uh, no, and, and then this time, of course, I moved to New York on, I think, around February 17th or something, and we'd already started planning the breakfast. So I said, oh, I'll just fly back. It'll, it'll just happen. And, you know, it's just really fun to connect with everyone and to see people. And um, last year, it was the last uh, big event for most people uh, as the doors slammed down for COVID. Oh, right. So That's I was glad we weren't a super yeah. spreader event, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. I haven't heard anybody got sick. It's really... So and it's, uh, obviously your your guest tomorrow, you don't know how it will go, but uh, who, who is the guest? And can you give us a little bit of background? Um, I mean, I, I I looked up before we came on who it is, but you, you give the introduction because you'll do it much better than me. <laughs> well, no, but it's an interesting point because we normally have featured people in Burlington um, that like Dr. Mae Cohen, who is a huge uh, advocate for women in healthcare, working as physicians, and also the study of women's health. Um, and she had just received a Person's Day Award in Ottawa for her work. And um, and then we've you know we've had Elizabeth Grambois. We've had uh, who you know was an advocate for ALS research and and finding a cure. Um, we've had Jill Davis, who was a female editor of the Burlington Post. Oh, we know Jill um, well. Yeah. Yeah, we had, we had Sonia Burma. Yeah. It, Sonia Verma, who's a young uh, woman uh, from Burlington who had uh, just finished reporting in Afghanistan um, and was with the Globe, I think, at the time. Um, we uh, She's now running uh, Global uh, News uh, Room. Um, and um, we've, we've, we've tried to feature people. Occasionally, we've gone outside. Uh, we had Catherine Zahn, who runs... Uh, um, KMH, the Mental Health Canadian Mental Health Association, um, Canadian Mental Health Hospital, Anyway, the biggest mental health hospital in Canada. Don't tell her I just muffed through that. Um, um, and we've had Maureen Kempston Darks, who was running um, General Motors at the time. Um, anyway, this year I really wanted to do something and focus on um, Indigenous uh, peoples. And Ava Hill uh, was the chief of Six Nations uh, for two terms. And um, she comes highly recommended. And of course, she's, uh, you know, related to the whole Joseph Brandt Burlington uh, connection. So, mm-hmm. well, we, we, we're sure it was a fantastic event that's happening tomorrow. But uh, 
<laughs> but she's going to talk a bit about her journey being elected, and um, hopefully we will also get into some of the issues around missing and murdered uh, Indigenous women and um, the residential school issues. Um, and she uh, she'll be quite interesting. I know that, and this is something I, I have to say, um, I know that sh- she will probably talk about just the, the difficulty uh, for many women uh, in um, elected office. And that is something that the IPU um, has done research on at the national level all around the world. The sexism, harassment and violence against women politicians is just outrageous. And, you know, COVID is stressing all elected officials, everyone's trying to do the right thing, but people are just attacking them without um, any concern for uh, them as human beings or as members of families. And I just heard something on the radio when I was driving here to do this, that, you know, before you hit send, would you say what you're saying in that email or in that tweet to someone who was standing in front of you? Such a great message. I mean, you've you've been a, a, Parliamentary parliamentarian for a, a good number of years, Patty, and you're 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 a parliamentarian before like social media, before Twitter, Facebook, all the stuff that we have, podcasts, <laughs> before beginning, all the, beginning of Facebook, <laughs> but b- before before any of this became like part of the zeitgeist of our of our modern age, um, you know it, what you just said about you know the the fact that. We've seen, I think, during COVID nineteen, a good number of female leaders. Uh, I'm thinking of, of Jacinda uh, uh, Ardern in, in New Zealand, who has really stepped up and really kind of, you know, shown what the leadership we like to have seen uh, on a number of uh, countries around the world. I'm not going to say name anyone, um, but the, you know, just you know, that, and I'm, I'm and I'm going. Maybe you can fill me in. I'm trying to remember the the the. Prime Minister or President of Iceland? I yep. can't remember. Yep. She's another one, and I'm, I'm kicking myself for not remembering. Denmark, but, Latvia, Finland. But we've seen, all we've seen, that, we've seen like, like women have just kind of stepped up to, you know, they've handled the top, like I say, the, the, the crisis of a generation, uh, and mm-hmm. they've handled it sp- splendidly. What does it say that we're still finding the need to justify electing female politicians uh not just around the world but here in canada here in ontario i'm, I'm thinking of the last uh you know we're, we're still we're still having that de- that debate over you know the electability of women to to the high offices of our country i, I just i'm i'm, I'm eager to hear your kind of your your insight and perspective on that yeah i guess uh a few things one um uh, there is no doubt that women perform very well in leadership. Uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, many other journals uh, and academic research has shown that women are very effective leaders, particularly in times of crisis. And so there was, I think it's December 30th or 31st of last year, 2020, there is an amazing Harvard Business Review article about women as leaders in crisis. They're more empathetic. They're listened to research. You know, they... They um, are better communicators often. There's a whole list of things that are actually skills you need in a crisis. And so you've seen people like Bonnie Henry and others just be tremendous leaders um, and get people to to follow the instructions. You're also seeing, yes, Jacinda um, uh, Arden and, and many Scandinavians, apparently in the top 10 countries that dealt with COVID, 
four were headed by women. Now, I don't have the source on that, but it was interesting because women aren't 40% of the world leaders. So it's amazing that in the top 10, they were, they fared so well. But I think it's, it's like exercising a muscle, right? I mean, I certainly didn't know that many elected women. Why would I even think that that's a career choice when I was a little girl? Um, but for a lot of men, it is a career choice. Or the, I want to be prime minister, right? I want to be president. It, it's part of the DNA almost of, well, I'm a boy, so therefore I should be kind of thinking about being president. And so we do need more and more uh, models. And we, but, but right now, in many countries, politics is actually run by guys. And so they will have to give up power. We can't, women can say we want, you know, quotas. We want to make sure there are more women elected. But ultimately, um, when they run as candidates, they do actually win. And, um, and, you know, and yet parties are sometimes reluctant or really, you know, go through a lot of trouble to, to try and state this. So when we get 50%, I think we'll make a big difference. And it will just be woman, man, who cares what your gender is? Just do you have the qualifications to do the job? And there's the horrible statistic that is of the of, of the women premiers that we've had in Canada. Yeah. Uh, it's still the case that, that that none of them have managed to be reelected. And it, uh, my own feeling, uh, obviously, they it's call it the glass cliff. Yeah, yeah, right. oh. it, but it's the same thing in were, companies. When companies are in trouble, they put a woman leader in, and then of course, she, you know, the company still has the trouble, or maybe she's able to pull it out. Uh, but uh, there, it's still a bit of a glass cliff. Uh, and I mean, it, it certainly, speaking to my own experience in, in Ontario, it felt when Kathleen Wynne, whatever one's politics is or are, it felt when Kathleen Wynne won, it's like, well, you know, the fact that she's a woman, she's a lesbian, all these things, that's amazing. What a, what a great statement about. But it also felt four years later that she lost in large part because she was a woman and also, unfortunately, because she was a lesbian and pe- so too many people s- still objected to that. How do you think we, we what needs to happen thing, to, to, yeah. to... But to the Liberals had been in office for, what, 15 years at that point? There was um, that. There was there was certainly that, wasn't there? But I mean, I, I, I you know, back, I, that was the sort of last campaign that I, I volunteered on, obviously, and uh, other than my own one. <laughs> uh, and the... Some of the things I heard at Doors, I had it, never come across before. It was, it was uh, hard, just, it was hard just, to ignore uh, that as a factor in her defeat. I, I, I agree. I think part of it was the fact that the liberals had been in power for 15 years and there was an appetite for it. We just need change. I, I, I acknowledge that, but I mean, you, you read the, the editorials and you saw some of the stuff that went around and it was really hard mm-hmm. to, not to ignore that. That that was a factor. It was. whether you, Well, you know, yeah, it's because when people attack women politicians, they attack them in a very personal way. She's fat, she's ugly, mm-hmm. she dresses poorly, you know, she's gay. I mean, they, they get to personal issues. You, you don't really see that around men very much. He's, mm-hmm. he's an idiot, he did the wrong thing, I didn't like his policy, but they don't say, you know, his suits are terrible. <laughs> They may talk about weight, but they don't. It's not usually the same personal attacks. And, and so, things like tone of voice suddenly come into it. Yeah, uh, where, where where things you can't change. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Uh, do you think? I found myself one day. Listen, guys. One day I was watching a news conference, and and uh, the former press secretary for um, for uh, the former president of the United States. 
who I really disagreed with on many things. And she's doing this news conference and I'm watching the live chat going up beside it. And I'm apolitical in the United States. I'm not getting, but I found myself wanting to write in there, look, she was wearing an unusual dress, but that is fine. It's not my issue. But all these people were just attacking. She's ugly. She's this, she's that. What's she wearing? I'm sorry, are you listening to her ideas attack what she's saying? Why, why are you writing these things? A guy just wouldn't be attacked this way. Uh, yeah. It's schoolyard uh, bullying almost, you know? Do, how, so when you first went to Parliament in, uh, was mid so I wasn't in Canada at the time, so yeah, yeah. excuse for not being able to pull the number out. <laughs> what was it like then? And did it, had it changed by the time you left? And do you think it has changed? I mean, obviously things have changed. There are far more women now going into Parliament. Um, but what hasn't changed enough? What has changed for the better? And, and, and how bad was it in 93? Well, 93, remember, was really funny because I was 30. So um, I often was mistaken for my staff. <laughs> Is he going to be along? Is he going to be along soon? <laughs> I said several people to me. Oh my who goodness. are you looking for? Um, or who do, you rep- uh, who do you work with? Oh, I represent the people of Burlington. Oh, who's the MP? Uh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> or they'd look me up and down. Oh, oh, you're a girl. Uh, glad that you confirmed that with us. <laughs> um, so it was a little bit different. Um, and I actually think I was able to use it to an advantage because they sometimes made a mistake in the start. They struggled to, to recompose themselves. Um, but, uh, and also there was a time, all right? Mr. Kretchen was very, very committed to listening to the views of women. Um, he had just run on the first, uh, uh, the first party at the time. Well, maybe the NDP maybe had something before that. So I better not confirm that. But it was the first time a liberal or conservative had said that they were going to set a target for a percentage of 25%. And in fact, we really um, started the session around January 18th. And I remember it being March 8th and they thought it was cool that we wanted to have all the questions and answers by women in the house that day. And maybe it was the day before that we were talking to him about this. And, uh, and uh, he said, Oh, tomorrow's international women's day. Well, why don't we have all the women MPs over to the house? And so we all went to the house. The men were so angry because they had 24 <laughs> Sussex. And, and, he, and literally he pulled together this party the next day. And I'll never forget. So we're all in the house. It was sort of kind of fun. It was really very wintry. And then he decided um, he wanted to show us the pool. So he went to open the door to go across the terrace and to the pool. And, uh, and, and Mrs. Kretschner said, Jean, Jean, it's cold. Go take him downstairs. <laughs> we all went downstairs to the basement, walked along the tunnel and up. And I could hear all these women sighing as we walked into the, you know, the family area, the basement with magazines and children's toys and things like that, that would have been around for the grandkids. And, ever, and I could hear all the women going, oh, somebody else has a pile of magazines. <laughs> <laughs> And he was having fun. It was, it was, so it was a very special time. But, you know, I remember coming back in 1995 from the Beijing Conference on Women. And an opposition member attacked Deanne Marlowe for her answer in the House of Commons. And he mocked her voice. And, um, you know, that's just not on. That's an absurd way. This is I, I, literally, it was, it was Thursday and it, the house had just opened and I had come back from Beijing. Monday would have been the first day of the September session. And then, I, you know, I said, that's just outrageous. You, you can't have people doing that. That's not a way to have a discussion. 
And again, attack her ideas, not, not the things she can't change. Anyway, so that I remember that um, the, the, the future speaker, Peter Milliken, told me that there was a committee that was actually of the House that had been looking at how to sanction people that do things that are racist or sexist or whatever. And this committee had decided, which included all members, and they had recommended that there be sanctions, much like other governments of the parliaments had done. Maybe you don't get phone privileges or flights or you have to give up a fine or something. So I went to ask, they said, ask, ask, ask me the question. You, you post the question on Friday, you're here for house duty. And so I went to do it, but I didn't get the question on Friday. So they said, fine, you're on for Monday. So I asked the question on Monday. And Peter Milliken, chair of this committee, said what this committee of colleagues from all parts of the house, all parties, he reported what that committee had said they were looking at doing. And what was the story in the paper? That I had spent that weekend being outraged and developed this question. And I was going to take away people's phone abilities. I was going to do <laughs> like, I had nothing to do with this committee. Why are you blaming me? Oh, and that girl thinks she's going to tell everybody else. It was really very frustrating. So I, I, there was some of that from the media and others, but generally within the party, there wasn't much. I, I've, I wanted, I, I, I can't speak to, the, to that story, but I was, I was thinking of in recent history, um, especially in the last four years in America, because uh, that was a nightmare uh, <laughs> to, to watch. But now I'm I'm curious to, to see that a trend. I mean, I'm thinking with um, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris in the states, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing you know uh, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren in the states. And I use those two as my as my example. The two of them are very passionate about the respective policy backgrounds, uh, you know, whether, uh, for whatever reason. When they stand up and they speak to the media and they speak in Congress and they speak to the to the public, it's you can tell that they're passionate about their their topics, but it's not personal. Uh, and I find that it's, it is refreshing. I like, I like seeing that politician who says, this is, these are my convictions. I believe this, this is what I'm, I want to push forward. This is the change I want to see. If you don't like it, fine, let's debate it. But this is where I'm coming from, but it's not personal. You, you know, you don't, you don't see, and I'm going to, this might upset some folks, but you don't see like the Rush Limbaugh of the media coming in and you know, just doing, well, I mean, I, he was a trailblazer for where I think the Canadian, the American media has gone now. It's just this deeply personal and divisive point of view. My point, I guess the, the long winded point that I'm trying to make is <laughs> like, it, it is true. If we add more women into politics, I think it creates the dialogue and the discourse. It increases the qual the quality of it. Um, because we're not, we're not, for some reason, we're just not, bickering over the inconsequential gotcha moments. It's about the actual policy and substantive decisions that our countries have to make going forward. Especially now, I think coming out of COVID-19, there's a lot of changes. Democracies have to look at, um, first world countries have to look at to make, to fix a lot of inequalities that we've now seen in our societies. Mm. Well, listen, COVID has been particularly devastating on women. Their job prospects, they've, they've lost jobs in greater numbers. They have not gained back the jobs in the same numbers. They are working two jobs because childcare right. is still an unequal uh, split. 
And these, you know, losing two or three years of income will affect you for the rest of your life. We are going to see poor senior women as a result of COVID. Women today who are in their 30s and 40s will now be poor. But that's a, a pro, that's a long-term problem that not, not just, oh, you know, to, to fix a woman's problem. It's an economic problem. It's, it's an economic well, problem. It's going to affect our, our economy as a whole. If you have, if right. you have seen, if you have seniors who are unable to support themselves, that. Right. But Joel, the difference is that, that in the job recoveries that have taken place already, right. it's men's jobs who've come back, not right. women's jobs. Right. And further, well, who's going to plan the, the the economic recovery? By and large, it's going to be men. And if they're not listening to the specific issues that relate to women and their participation, we lose great women that should be participating and giving their all to the economy. So what's the number one thing that business has suddenly realized? My God, we need childcare. Why? Because no matter where you are on the socioeconomic spectrum, if your kid isn't safe, or if you're suddenly homeschooling them, you can't show up to work, whether it's remotely or it's as a clerk or in the hospital as a as a support worker or as a doctor you you need we need child care people need to know their children are safe and and in quality education so uh if you don't plan to build back better with child care plans i don't see how it's going to work um and a lot of women who are stepping out of the workforce and saying enough I've, i'm i'm done the, the new york times called it women's primal scream because they have just had enough. That, that I mean, that, that's, uh, we, that's we so upsetting. Um, like, how much how much are we losing in the workforce? Like, that's you know, if you think about the the number of uh, of of the, just the input, you know, the 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 in the the ideas that you're losing in your economy of just how about vaccines were developed by women? <laughs> well, yeah. There you go. Yeah, uh, women and immigrants in in several cases. I, I think which is uh, you know it's so important in the context of the four years we just came through. Uh, and the double whammy, by the way, Roland, of women immigrants, because women migrants are doing all the PSW work, are doing the hospital cleaning and the hospital work, and are clerking and cutting meat in factories and everything else. And we have not, and they have not been paid the same necessarily. There's a really big problem and they're, they're further cut off from their families. Um, if they have them in other parts of the world, cause no one can travel right now. It's something that Joel and I have spoken about, uh, a lot. It's the, the frustrating lack of imagination that seems to be coming from, uh, obviously, we, we tend to pick on that the Ontario government because they're the closest to home. But but it seems to be exactly this that's needed. That there should be all kinds of opportunities coming out of COVID for for living our lives in a better way, not having to sit in a car commuting anymore, um, giving be- people better working conditions. Um, like you say, I mean, a, a lot of the people who are uh, most in need of sick pay are the people who are working on casual work for, mm-hmm. uh, again, overwhelmingly, well, very often women, very often women immigrants uh, with the absolutely you know worst, most least secure uh, employment. Uh, and it just seems like an opportunity that, that I really hope isn't missed um, yeah. because we have people who... Uh, who just want to get back to how things were before, basically. This is the kind of message I hear coming out of multiple right. governments is, well, we'll have the vaccine and then we'll all get back to normal. It's like, well, no, normal no, it's wasn't not that great. Be, it's not going yeah. back. No, normal got But that's where I'm saying that 
You have to make a concerted effort to make sure that the people who are planning the build back better part, what it's going to look like, what it is, you have to make sure you have women's voices at the table. Those are in parliaments. Those are in cabinets. Those are in whatever think tanks. We have to make sure that women who, by the way, are trying to homeschool their kid and try and do everything else and take care of their parent and those women are part of the discussion. Um, and we really run a risk that they're not going to be there. Uh, by the way, I have to tell you one thing. You you asked me something about uh, how things were done differently or what it was like to be a woman. I told you that this whole idea of an International Women's Day breakfast came from one of my colleagues. And every year that we had a new group, I would say that I was doing the breakfast in caucus and I would credit my colleague, Eleni Bakopanos. And Eleni would say to me, like, you're the only person who ever gives credit to another member of parliament for something. That's so nice that you keep doing that, but you don't have to, you know? And every time we had a new class of MPs, I'd say, men, women, you should have a breakfast. It's a great idea to bring people together. And Eleni gave me this idea and she'd say, why do you keep doing that? And I, 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 you, I was reminded, because uh, why not? Why not share the, the love and, and give someone credit? I was reminded that when I was chair of Women's Caucus, we heard about this um, particular uh, mission that was taking place that was being led by a male cabinet minister, and there were no women on the delegation. And so uh, this one woman was eminently qualified. It was fairly new in our, in our taking the house. And so I was sent as the chair of the Women's Caucus to go talk to this male minister and say, Minister, here's the deal. You're doing this trip. So-and-so really should be on your delegation. She knows this, this, this. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm telling you why this person needs to be in your delegation. And he said, you better learn one thing around here. You better learn to advocate for yourself and worry. Don't let everyone else worry about themselves. And I don't know what possessed me. <laughs> I looked at him and said, and you better learn one thing here. I came here to change how things are done. And I, when I'm the right person to advocate, be darn sure I'll be advocating for myself. But in the meantime, that person, we have decided needs to be on your delegation. She went. <laughs> he was so taken aback that this little upstart was staring him in the eye and saying, no, you better learn. It's that sort of comfortable, one of the most frustrating, I mean, goodness knows, I've only been very uh, tangentially involved in real politics, but uh, from what I've seen, the, the it's so easy to get very comfortable with with a role and your position and the 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 capped offing that goes yeah uh, and you become very defensive of that uh, one becomes very defensive of that. Um, well, that's no different, really, than in business or in other environments. Think, disruptors are hard to deal with, right? I mean, it's it's we all want to do whatever we've done. This is why it's, COVID is like so. exhausting. It has, but, <laughs> but I would, to Zoom. I, the one thing I, I think. Roland and I have, have noticed uh, doing this podcast, though, is the next generation. Uh, we've had a number of young, younger folks on this podcast uh, to talk about issues, and we have always been just blown away by their passion, their, their how articulate they are, and how knowledgeable they are in the situation. And we've said it before. I, I hope I hope that they don't lose that that drive and that passion because they there's a generation coming that once they get power and they realize the power that they have and they're able to wield it i'm i really am confident they're going to change this world for the better uh, you know mm -hmm, more sure. more more minorities at the table more women at the table a, a more egalitarian society all around that is fairer and, and just more more diverse um and it's it's gonna be worth the fight but man i i 
the, just the next generation just really wows me that I, I, I really do. I, I, and I, if there's anybody who is listening, you know, keep fighting the good fight because I'm on your side on that one. You want to well, fast track them to the top. You know, and that was <laughs> something that I really made a point of doing was to go and talk to school children. In fact, I remember in the 93 election campaign, some teacher asked me if I would go to her grade three class. And I said, yes. And some of my campaign, campaign advisors said, um, uh, no, you know, why would you do that? There's no votes in that classroom. And I said, well, I, I just want them to see that there's, you know, women candidates and that they could, why can't I talk to these kids? Best question it, it, on the deficit I was ever asked by an eight-year-old. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, and it's such. Uh, yeah, I'm very passionate about exactly that thing. That that that, that is the mentality. Um, <laughs> that, that is the mentality. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I. I think you've got the wrong number. Oh, highly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just doing a podcast. <laughs> but I had to stop the phone from ringing. <laughs> sorry. I'll call you right back. Sorry, you have an edit function, right? It, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, definitely. Um, uh, uh, oh, I've lost my I've lost my thread. What was I saying? Young people. Um, Young people. Yeah, that, uh, it's a really important point that, um, that that's such a common perception um, that I've heard multiple times. Is the word but they don't vote? Um, that the they. Um, when you do go and make the effort to go and speak to uh, anybody who's who's a, they really appreciate being spoken to like our adults uh, and rather than patronized to. And uh, and the minute they twig that you're not, they're actually taking them seriously. You will get these these incredible kind of ideas and response. I had a fantastic conversation with someone when I was uh, canvassing in uh, two years ago, um, and it was a. Uh, it was a young guy. He probably is, I don't know, 16, something like that. And uh, he basically said he didn't understand politics and, and, and um, didn't understand why he should vote and things. And it was, it was, he said, well, I'm not interested. And it's like, well, yeah, but does, does, how do you get to school? Well, I take the bus. Does the bus annoy you? Yeah, it drives me crazy. Um, you know, and but within sort of 10 minutes, he, he was like a political animal because he's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and had all kinds of ideas about it that that, that would really contribute. Yeah. Well, that's like I used to say. That's great that you care about the environment and you're supporting this NGO. Love their work. Good on you. Mm-hmm. But that NGO is not voting in, at at either a cabinet table or in the House of Commons. So if you actually want to get achieve what they're advocating, you better make sure that you vote in a, a politician who is also supporting that. So. You know, I think you're right, too, that it's not just about politicians talking to young people. It's about listening (laughs) and getting their ideas. And I was very fortunate that we had lots of young people who supported the campaigns and who would tell me what they thought, which was great. Like, it made me a better politician. I used to always say, who do I represent? And people people who voted for you. No, I represent the whole city, not just the over 18s, the whole city. I'd say the whole country, actually, because um, we're not elected. I mean, we are elected for our districts, but we're we're really so to speak politicians for all the country. But um, but I do think that you get you get much more out of it than you even um, will ever realize from listening to what their concerns are and their ideas. It, and you know, by the way, they end up voting within a couple of years. So it's, well, <laughs> it's but if, but if you if you think about it, uh, roll back the the clock a, a decade or two ago, young. You know, all the major initiatives that have happened in this country, we've had legalization of marijuana, which is one that was 
started off by young people pushing for it. Um, we are looking at a green, more a more sustainable and greener in eco- uh, uh, economy. A lot of that was pushed by young people. They're the ones that are coming up with, you know, the, not just the the market forces, but they want policies that are, are greener. The one the big one of the biggest mistakes I think is the fact that young people think they don't have a say or they don't have yeah. any leverage in the political process. And I want to say, no, you do. You have an incredible amount, an incredible okay. amount. And if you you know, we just organize organize yourselves and come out. And you're a you're not alone. Chances are you're going to find somebody that shares your passion and shares your, your drive. You, the, the change that you can make is astounding. And it, the, the yeah. biggest enemy is just the apathy that you think you're alone and, and nobody cares about what you, what you want to do. It's a lie. Well, and I also think that more people need to call their elected officials when they agree with something, mm-hmm. because I remember some particularly contentious uh, legislation that we dealt with where, you know, I certainly had the haters or the angriers calling me and um, uh, and bombarding me with phone calls. And every so often, someone would call me about something else, and I'd say, "Well, what do you think about this?" Oh, yeah, Patty, keep go- keep going on that. Okay, were you ever going to let me know what's a bit lonely <laughs> out here? Um, when you think of point. equal marriage, that was something that young people were right. like, "Yeah, sure, I don't, yeah. I don't have a problem with this. Of course, we should. You know, who you love is not my business." Um, but a lot of their older um, relatives didn't think that way, um, right. and some did, of course. But um, it was that was their generation. So uh, I do recall one campaign speaking specifically about human rights and decrim and a few other issues that were important, more important to young people. But certainly, they need to understand the role governments played. And actually, it was a Mike Harris initiative um, when he was in office to make uh, civics part of grade uh, five and grade ten. And I think it was a brilliant initiative. Um, uh, because they need to understand that the, the government does play a role in their lives, positive and negative. Usually, hopefully it's positive. Um, but yeah, that road they drove on to get to university, that university professor, that, um, you know, that health and safety message, whatever it is at their job, at the, the convenience store or whatever, it's, it's all governed uh, by, by politicians and they need to make sure that it's the right legislation for them. And they do have, you know, I always say, call when you agree with something, because the person who gets that message a couple times will be even more interested in hearing from you when right. you call to complain. Well, you, like you say, you'll stand out for the crowd, or you'll be yes. one of it. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's actually something we've mentioned a few times in recent weeks, is, is that uh, you know, uh, the biggest sort of mistake, uh, or uh, the one mis- biggest misconception I think the public has about politics and politicians is that politicians don't listen. It's like, well... Actually, the one thing they all do nonstop is listen. It, it's you know, that may not be quite the same as being heard, but 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 they are listening, and it it's not hard to make an impact. Um, the, the politicians are not nearly as remote as you think they are. You can no, not, just not pick up the phone and pretty much speak to them. You know, it, it's uh, and you should do that because. Well, you know, Roland, you're also bringing me to something that uh, we witnessed in the United States that they've completely polarized. Um, and it's it's even with the change of government, it's still going to be really rough to govern because there is such polarization. And I remember people would come and see me and say, well, everyone I know thinks this. And I'd say, well, I just had someone in my office that said the opposite. Oh, you're making that up. 
Or, well, all my friends think this. Yes, well, that's why you're friends, right? And, the, and if we stop talking to each other, and some of those, you know, my first mandate, we did 17 public meetings. We did one with an open mic. That was the last one we did that way because it was <laughs> the people who wanted to say something else were afraid. But we did roundtables and we had people come up with what their table thought about something. And I remember we did one on the budget and one guy was like, cut the CBC. And another guy said, oh my God, I love the CBC. And, and the bottom line out of this table was, oh my God, you have an impossible task. <laughs> yeah. um, but we need to actually, you know, understand better what the choices are. And I think, you know, right now it's a really tough time for anybody who's in elected office because people are anxious and worried and they do have these social media tools to unload all of that on their politicians, which yes, they're leaders. They can take some of that. That's fine. But we really need to be careful and to think that they too are family members and they too have concerns. And let's, you know, let's approach it with having a proper conversation and assume the best of the other person. And maybe we can actually find a way forward. And that's, hopefully something that women politicians can bring to the table as well. Well, thank you guys for doing this. I think it's great. You're, it's uh, it's wonderful to see you're uh, contributing to the public dialogue and to governance uh, in the general sense and continue to do that. Well, so, thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Take care, guys. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast, podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.